Our sermon today is taken from Romans 5, verses 15 to 19. This is the word of God. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Thus says the Lord. So today we're in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 15 through 19. And last week, in verse 14, Paul mentioned that Adam was a pattern of the one to come. In other words, Paul says that Adam was somehow a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did Paul mean by that? Well, I think the point that Paul was trying to make, the similarity that he was trying to emphasize, had to do with their positions as representative heads of the human race. Now, fortunately for me and you, that's where the similarity between the two ends. Adam was a sinner. Christ was sinless. The actions of Adam brought death to the world, while the actions of Christ brought life. So having referred to Adam as a type of Christ in the sense that he acted as a representative head for the human race, Paul now wants to elaborate on that and explain some of the ways that Adam and Christ are different from one another. So here in verses 15 through 19, in order to show that difference, Paul contrasts the work of redemption in Christ with the work of sin in Adam. And in these verses, there are three differences between the work of Christ and Adam's sin. Three ways that the work of Christ is, surpasses the work of Adam. The work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin in what it administers, verses 15 and 16. The work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin in what it achieves in verse 17. And the work of Christ, finally, is greater than Adam's sin in what it accomplishes, verses 18 and 19. But first, the work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin in what it administers to us. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In this verse, Paul tells us that Christ's work is greater than Adam's sin because of what it administers. It administers grace to us. 
It brings grace to sinners. But before he demonstrates the abundant nature of grace, Paul wants us to first understand the devastating impact of Adam's sin upon the human race. How that one sin from Adam resulted in eternal condemnation for all men alike. Look at the middle of verse 15. Many died through the one man's trespass. Now Paul is using the term many here in a qualitative sense. And he's referring to the entire human race collectively as a whole. And what he's trying to say is that the one sin of Adam brought universal condemnation and death to all people alike. Through Adam's one act of disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin came to all men as well because Adam was the representative head of the entire human race. Now this doctrine has caused much controversy historically and even led some people to deny the fact that we are as human beings, bear the guilt of Adam's sin. They deny the doctrine of federal headship. They argue that it's not fair for all people to be judged and condemned by the sin of one man. And you and I can relate to that, right? If you're like me, you've probably wondered to yourself whether or not it was fair that you should be blamed for the sin of Adam. But the Bible makes it clear Likewise, does our experience that we were all born in sin. We're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we were born with the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, who acted as our representative on earth. And because of Adam's sin, the penalty of death was passed on to you and to me as well. We were all condemned simply by being born. Now, that's bad news, right? As people who suffer from the consequences of Adam's sin, we don't like it. But notice that even though Paul paints this picture of the miserable and desperate condition of mankind in Adam, he doesn't just leave us there in utter despair without any hope. Because now he's ready to explain to us the grace of God in Christ. The grace that God has shown to sinners through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the middle of verse 15. There he says to us, Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, these verses show us exactly how the work of Christ is greater than the sin of Adam that left us all condemned. The reason why Christ's work is greater than Adam's sin is because it's a gracious work. Christ's work brings infinite grace to sinners, the infinite grace of God in salvation. So as Paul describes God, God's grace, he uses the term much more to express to us the abundant nature of it. And what he's telling us is that God's grace to sinners is an overflowing grace. It is super abundant. It's a grace that we did not earn and did not deserve because God's grace 
is unearned favor that God lavishes upon sinners, both in light of and in spite of their positive demerit. Grace is a free gift to God that he gives to sinners at the expense of Jesus Christ. So Christ's work is greater than Adam's sin because it's a work primarily of grace. But the second thing that Paul tells us about Christ's work is that it overcame many sins. Look at verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, according to this verse, how many sins did Adam have to commit in order to bring condemnation to the entire world? Just one, right? All it took was just one sin. One act of defiance, and all men were condemned in Adam. But, on the other hand, Paul tells us that in redemption, Christ overcame the many sins of his people in order to save them. You see, Christ had, the, had to overcome the many separate and individual acts of defiance against God that we committed in order to bring salvation to us. So Christ's work is superior to Adam's sin because it covers a multitude of sins that were committed against God. On September 2nd, 2017, a 15-year-old boy from Portland, Oregon, threw a smoke bomb into Eagle Creek Canyon in Mount Hood National Forest. Unfortunately for him, the fireworks ignited and grew into a full-blown fire that destroyed 48,000 acres of land. Ash from the smoke spread all the way to the Canadian border. It took nearly three months to fully contain the fire, and the cost associated with fighting the fire was somewhere around $40 million. At the trial, the teenager pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to 1,900 hours community service, five years probation, and ordered to pay, get this, $36.7 million in restitution, which he certainly could not afford. Now, the reason I share this story with you is to drive home the reality of the nature and extent of Adam's sin and its effect upon the human race. You see, Adam's sin was like the little smoke bomb that lit the entire forest on fire and devastated the human race. One man sinned, but all men died. And therefore, all sinners are guilty before God and sentenced to divine judgment in order to pay a restitution that we too can certainly not afford. So Paul is telling us that not only did Christ put out the fire that Adam started, but he also planted a brand new forest, an eternal forest that will never be destroyed. And Christ himself has fully paid the restitution that we owe to God by giving his very own life for our many sins. And this is all because of grace. 
And grace not only brings us far more than we lost in Adam, but grace also overcomes our many sins to accomplish salvation. So the work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin because of the grace that it administers to sinners. And that leads us to our second point, and that is that the work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin because of what it achieves. Look at the beginning of verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, All right, we'll stop there. So far, Paul has been explaining to us the devastating impact of Adam's sin upon the entire human race in order to magnify the work of Christ in redemption. And he continues the same theme here in this verse, in verse 17, by first showing us the results of Adam's sin. So at the very beginning of the verse, Paul tells us that the result of Adam's sin was that death reigned. In other words, death is the heritage that the human race receives from Adam. From the very first moment that Adam sinned, death has continued to wreak havoc throughout the earth until this very day. That's why all the major newspapers of the world have obituary sections, right? That's why all the countries of the world have cemeteries, because every day someone new dies. So if you're looking for a career with longevity, become a mortician if you can handle it. Because no matter how bad things get, they'll always be employed. Because unlike the economy, the death rate is always constant. It's always reliable and steady. Why? Because through the sin of Adam, death reigns. Adam sinned, And as a result, death reigns on earth. Now, unfortunately, this also means that someday we too will die. Death will come to each and every last one of us. Sooner or later, whether rich or poor, strong or weak, wise or foolish, death will catch up with us. Someday we'll all perish from the earth as a result. Of Adam's sin. I remember going to my grandmother's funeral as a kid. It was the very first funeral that I had ever attended. I didn't believe in God at the time, nor did I know anything at all about death. So you could imagine that I was in shock when I learned that my grandmother had died and that she was no longer here on earth with our family. I'll never forget the feeling of fear and amazement I felt as I saw her lifeless body laying there in a casket. It took everything I had to drag myself forward and to take a look at her. And after her funeral, I began to be frustrated at the unfairness and ugliness of death. Death, for me, was so very unpredictable and final that it terrorized me from that time forward. So I did everything I could to avoid it and to suppress the reality of it. But even though I was not a Christian at that time, I knew and understood that there was something very bad and unnatural 
about death. Because to me, it seemed more like a punishment than anything else. And I think that's what Paul is trying to communicate to us here this morning in this passage. That death is not a natural part of God's creation, but rather a punishment for sin. And so he says, death reigned to all men through Adam. Now fortunately for us, that's only part of the story. Because Paul wants us to see that through Christ, there is a way out. There is a way for both you and me to be delivered from the consequences of Adam's sin. There's a way for us to be delivered from death. Because in his abundant grace, God has provided a way for sinners to overcome the long and brutal reign of death. And Paul tells us exactly what that is in the middle of verse 17. There he says, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So, according to Paul, the way for sinners to be delivered from the condemnation and consequences of Adam's sin the way for us to be delivered from death, listen closely, is for us to receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness from God. Now, just what does all that mean? Well, to put it plainly, I think this entire sentence is a summary of the doctrine of justification. And to be justified is to be legally declared righteous by God on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. So what Paul is saying is that we are declared righteous by God's grace. And the very moment that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive righteousness that comes from him. The righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ is given to sinners as a gift from the abundant grace of God. It is not earned in any way. It is a free gift. But Paul isn't finished yet because he also wants us to see that we receive something else. What else we receive through grace? Believe it or not, there's even more that he wants to tell us. Verse 17 says, we also reign in life through the Lord Jesus Christ. But how can that be true, right? As Christians, we certainly don't feel like we're reigning over anything on earth. In fact, out of all people, Christians seem to suffer most in this world. Sometimes, we don't even feel like we barely exercise power and authority and control over our own sin and our own sinful habits. So how then can it be true that we are presently reigning with Christ on earth? What is Paul talking about? Well, as believers, we are spiritually united to Christ, who was anointed by the Spirit as prophet, priest, and king over creation. And therefore, through our union with Christ, we share in his role as his prophets, priests, and kings on earth. So when we labor for Christ's kingdom, by proclaiming the God of word to other people. 
we are exercising our role as prophets. When we're offering our prayers and our bodies to God as living sacrifices, we are exercising our role as priests. When we're engaged in spiritual warfare against the flesh and the devil, we are exercising our roles as kings on the earth as we have power, certain limited power over sin. And these offices belong to us as a consequence of our redemption in Christ. And so as a Christian, every time you bear witness for the Lord Jesus Christ through word or through deed, you are reigning in life. Every time you pray and fight against the flesh, you are reigning in life. Every time you suffer faithfully for Christ's sake, you also are reigning in life. As believers, we reign on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And each and every little thing we do for Christ's sake has eternal significance. So the work of Jesus Christ is greater than Adam's sin in what it administers. The work of Jesus Christ is greater than Adam's sin in what it achieves for us as believers. And our third and final point is that the work of Jesus Christ is greater than Adam's sin in the way that it was accomplished. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one act of righteousness resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. Now up to this point, Paul has been contrasting the sin of Adam with the work of Christ in order to show the superior nature of Christ's redemption for us. But here, in verses 18 and 19, Paul uses a different tactic. He turns to a different method. Instead of showing us the differences between Adam and Jesus, Paul will now argue his point by using certain similarities between the two. So in verse 18, Paul says, All who are in Adam are condemned, and all who are in Christ are justified. Again, in verse 19, he compares the one trespass of Adam to the one act of righteousness of Christ. And then he compares the disobedience of Adam to the obedience of Christ. And each of these comparisons all have reference to Christ and Adam as representative heads of the entire human race. And that's, that's the point that Paul is trying to make. The thing that he wants us to understand is that the work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin because of what Christ himself personally accomplished for his people. What Paul is trying to say is that the way Christ accomplished our redemption by comparison is both spiritually and ethically superior to the sin of Adam. Now, to help drive this point home for, you, for us, I would like for you to picture in your mind for a moment two very different scenes being played out in two very different environments. And hopefully you'll see that there are very two different ethical choices that are being made. The first scene 
involves Adam in the Garden of Eden. He is in an environment that is pristine and undefiled. And as he's being tempted, Adam refuses to turn and pray to God, but rather exerts his very own will instead. You see, Adam is given the choice to submit to the will of God and live, and through his obedience, he would gain not only his own life, but the life of all of his people as well. However, Adam willingly chose to disobey God and therefore brought eternal death to all of his people. Now, the second scene involves Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is in an environment that is rather dirty and defiled. And as he's being tempted, Jesus falls to the ground and fervently prays to God. Not for the power of his very own will, not to exert that, but that the will of the Father would be done. When given the choice to submit to the will of God and die, through his obedience, Jesus himself lost his very own life in order to gain it for his people. Christ willingly chose to obey God and therefore brought eternal life to all who would receive it. You see the difference, don't you? Adam took for himself and disobeyed in order that he himself might live. But Christ gave of himself and obeyed in order that he himself might die. The work of Adam brought condemnation, sin, and death to all people, while the work of Christ brought justification, righteousness, and life to all people. Indeed, the work of Christ is greater than Adam's sin in the very way that it was accomplished. You know, John Stuart Holden tells this story of an old Scottish mansion that was close to where he used to live in the summertime. And the wall of one of the rooms inside of the mansion was filled with sketches that were made by some very, very famous artists. Well, one day during a visit, someone accidentally spilled a pitcher of soda water onto this beautiful wall, which left a very ugly and unsightly stain. During that time, however, there happened to be a brilliant artist named Lord Landseer, who was also a guest at the mansion. One day, when all of the guests left the mansion to go and admire the Scottish Highlands, Lord Landseer stayed behind. He then took a piece of charcoal, and with a few masterful strokes, that ugly spot on the wall was transformed into a beautiful waterfall bordered by trees and wildlife. You see, Lord Landseer turned that ugly and disfigured wall into one of the most beautiful and successful representation of the Scottish Highlands. What an accurate illustration that is for us. It's our position and sinners in Adam. You see, Adam's sin in Eden left us permanently scarred, damaged, stained, and destroyed. But through his work of redemption, 
Jesus Christ saved us from eternal condemnation and taking the things that Adam ruined and transforming them into something that is both beautiful and glorious for eternity, into an accurate representation of what God intended them to be. John Calvin says, As Adam, by his ruin, involved us also in ruin, so Christ, by his grace, has restored us to salvation. If you're listening to this sermon here today and you're not a Christian, unfortunately, you are still in Adam. You are certainly under the reign of sin and death and headed for eternal condemnation. I urge you, therefore, come to Christ through faith and receive him by grace. If you are in Christ here this morning, by faith in his sacrifice on Calvary, you are therefore free from sin and death. And death is presently never again to reign over you. You have life, eternal life, through him. And all this is because the work of Christ is far greater than the sin of Adam. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, Lord. Thank you that you have redeemed us and saved us, Lord, from our position in Adam. Thank you, Father, that you have brought redemption to us through the act and the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him, Lord, we gain far more than we ever lost in Adam. Father, may you touch our hearts today. May you help us, O oh Lord, to live and to reign in righteousness on this earth, to bring more people into your kingdom by your grace. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.